Shelton. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, today's episode of Hear That Podcast Crown is presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. As always, Paul Dainer Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. Jay, we've crossed over Merry Christmas into Happy New Year. We're in that limbo. What do you say? Are we wishing people Happy New Year? Are we done saying Merry Christmas? Happy Holidays. Yeah, I. you, you can go one or two. Did you have a nice Christmas? And if it's someone you've already talked to, then yeah, you go Happy New Year. Uh, and Happy Holidays works too. You, you take in Hanukkah and everything else as well. I just, but what if you don't want to really know about their Christmas? What if it's just a passing in the hallway? <laughs> it's funny. That happened in the press box on Sunday. Uh, one of the former Bengals interns I saw, uh, we passed he was coming out of the bathroom and I was going in and he's like, hi, Jay, how was your Christmas? And I was like, I, I wanted to say, oh, wait, let me tell you about it and make him stop and listen. But I was stand just, in the bathroom. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, good, good. And we both went our separate ways. But it, it is it's you. It's a danger. It's kind of like how you doing. You never know. Oh, let me tell you what's going on. It's it, it can it can go wrong, but you're just hoping for that. Yeah, fine. How are you? How you doing? Did you hear about ham on the menu at Arby's? <laughs> <laughs> you never wanted to go there. Uh, we've got a bunch to get to today. I want to thank everybody uh, that came to the live room yesterday and asked questions or just listened. That podcast, of course, is up. Covered a lot of ground. A lot of Zach Taylor questions yesterday. And uh, shout outs to people calling from Canada, from Hawaii. Making me excited. Making me go look up what the weather was actually like in Hawaii. It was an early morning walk for Natasha. Who called in? I, I was totally jealous. I was ready to go on a flight right then. Uh, but so all that uh, is up on up there. You can go listen to yesterday's live room, and we'll be doing them again. We'll do another one on Monday. Uh, you guys have been liking them right there in the lunch hour at noon. So we're going to keep doing it. Uh, we enjoy doing it. So that is there for you, and we cover a bunch of ground there. So we're going to try to not go over a lot of the same stuff today and, and move it forward a little bit. Jay, you've got final thoughts up with a lot, um, a lot of interesting stuff. There was a ton of uh, really interesting, not just statistical nuggets, but trend nuggets. I mean, you had 41 of them there, and I felt like there could have been about 82. <laughs> you could have expounded almost on all of them. So a lot of great stuff there, people going there. We have our uh, our deal going on right now. It's, uh, it's $24 for... 12 months. So you're just at $2 a month to get the yearly subscription. If you missed out on Black Friday earlier, have a deal going on right now, just to end of the year sale now. So you can go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast ground or any of our stories and click on the links and subscribe there. Um, no, we'll get into news. We'll talk, we're going to touch a little bit on playoff scenarios. Jay, you've got a bunch more stats to dive into. Mo is going to come on here and we're going to discuss um, something that filled up a whole lot of hours on the radio for him and yesterday. And um, Growler Bet, it was really interesting and a very, very fun two part run passer boot from a listener that I wanted to get us to. So, all of that coming our way. News. The news of the day was people got very nervous yesterday, Jay. Yes. Very nervous. Because Monday is like, it's like every Monday is is Black Monday now. Not Black Monday when all the NFL coaches get fired the day after the season ends. Uh, it's the day of COVID testing. Now the new targeted COVID testing across the league. And you find out who you might be without this week. Because it's the one day they do it. You basically get through that. And then... You're you're mostly in the clear. And then Brandon Allen popped up on the Bengals. 
with uh, COVID reserve. Um, so now the Bengals COVID reserve list is Brandon Allen, Darius Phillips, who's on IR, Wyatt Ray, DJ Reader, who reported symptoms before yesterday's game and will be trying to test to get back in, and uh, Mike Thomas, who's who's not in, who also tested positive. Um, but it's all about Brandon Allen. How close were you standing to Joe Burrow, Brandon Allen? I hope you were keeping your distance. And supposedly they have, and they, you know, they have the quarantine quarterback. They've been doing that for a number of weeks. Jake Browning is separated, essentially. Don't come near, only zoom in, stand far away. He's out at practice, but he's over there waving. Hello, Jake. Hello on the other field. Uh, and then you have Brandon Allen, though, they keep make sure they're always keeping their distance. It's easier to do with quarterbacks than a room of defense because there's just a couple, there's just the two of them. So they, they try to always stay away from each other the same way as they did last season. The bottom line is this there is nothing to worry about with Joe Burrow being popped for a test. The new targeted testing only tests these random people does not test everybody, tests a small number, although we saw a massive number across the league of people test positive, which only makes you think if they're barely testing, the whole league has it. Yeah. Like I'm just assuming the whole damn league has it. It's just a matter of who actually gets randomly popped for the test. Uh, But they are targeted tests where only a few people get tested on Monday. And then you go, the rest of the week is based on self-reporting symptoms. So if somebody feels sick, then they would get they would report I'm sick and they would self-report that and get tested. That's what happened with DJ Reader, with Wyatt Ray at the end of last week that they self-reported the symptoms and were tested. So unless that happens, unless Joe Burrow all of a sudden comes up very, very sick and and it and raises his hand and says, I am sick and I would like to not play uh potentially against the Chiefs. Um you're going to see Joe Burrow playing against the Chiefs. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That that he's going to. I mean, unless unless it's it's so bad. But it for for young people that are vaccinated, it's just it's it's such a long shot that he would get so sick that they would have no choice but to test him. And another point to bring up, which it, it's still surprising with how many people are testing positive, but when they do these random tests, it's not just players, it's all tiered individuals. So it could be some coaches, it could be some front office people. It, it, they, they are trying to test as few people as possible and players with as least impact as possible. The league does not want to have a situation like they almost had a couple of weeks ago where they nearly had to postpone some games. So, you know, Joe Joe Burrow th- played through a throat contusion. He played through whatever the deal is with his pinky that was clearly bothering him for a while. He he is he is not a complainer by nature, and he certainly isn't going to raise his hand and say he has some sniffles or a sore throat. I it would be really really surprising. And the other thing is too that there's not been any indication that there's been any on field transmission, and a big part of that is because you're outside, and that's really the only time. That that Brandon Allen and and Joe Burrow are close together when they're sitting next to each other on the bench. What Zach made the point, even when they're in the meeting rooms, it is it's just the two of them and then the quarterback coach, and they are sitting as far apart in that room as possible. So it, natural to to feel that discomfort when you see Brandon Allen go on the COVID list, but it, it, there's really not too much to worry about. Yeah, and the point is, and I think there's a lot of 
miss, you know, not really understanding. They, they change every damn week, the protocols, mm-hmm. who the hell knows what it is anymore. But, you know, the specification is there is, we no longer have that close contact testing, right? Where, oh, well, you were right and you were near this guy and we looked and, and so we're going to test you and you and you and you and you and you wipe out a whole room. That's not, it's strictly moves to self-report of symptoms. They only are trying to test people that are symptomatic. They're trying to avoid the wipeout of 10 asymptomatic people uh, that do happen to have it. Um, that's really where they've gotten as they've turned their approach. They've turned their approach to something pretty simple, Jay. Let's get through these games and stop compromising the competition. You know, that you, you, they got through the most, the majority of the season, you know, and, and did, and they've been doing the right thing and trying, but it, the virus has changed and their opinion of how to handle the virus has changed because it's getting a little too close to their money. Okay. Exactly. The NFL is like, look, we need to play these games and I don't want to get into a playoff game where we've got, you know, Ian Book. Right, they're trying to avoid these situations, and where entire teams like what we're seeing now, the teams is sort of the residuals of the old policy still existing uh, for teams that were in the intensive protocol. I mean, they're trying to just kind of uh, avoid that as much as they can, and it's hard to do. None about nothing about this is ideal. There is compromising of competitiveness across the league right now, but they're trying to avoid that as they head into the playoff portion of the program. And so right, wrong, people disagree, obviously, with this virus and and how to handle it. Everybody has a million opinions, whether you're talking about the NFL, politics, or just daily life walking around the street. Um, The NFL is trying to handle it the way they are, and they're handling it the same way they handle almost everything. Protect the coin. They're just trying to protect the coin right now. And uh, and I think that's a a big part of where it's moved to. But the, the big point about this in regards to the Bengals is, you don't have to worry about the NFL showing up on Thursday and being like, test number nine. <laughs> I think that was when you saw number eight, Brandon Allen, uh, go on reserve. That was the first concern was, wait, what's the policy? Can they just show up and take Burrow out, basically? And that is not the case. And that's important to remember here. Yeah, and it would. It, that, that's the big concern, I think, that I've had is all these other teams were having these outbreaks and, and, and the Everybody was praising the Bengals for for not, and it it's looking more and more like it's inevitable. It, it's going to start spreading through, and you just wonder is it is it not going to be a matter of the Bengals avoiding? Is it going to be a matter of the, it hitting the Bengals at the worst possible time? And the fact that they are changing the protocols, and now they're looking at even the the people that do go test positive and go into isolation with symptoms of reducing that from five, from 10 to five days just to get them back on the field quicker. The CDC came out and kind of made, made that recommendation for, for all people that to, to lower isolation from 10 to five days. So it, the, 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 the protocol is getting less and less strict as you get closer to the playoffs. So even if something does happen with, with the Bengals where a number of cases should happen to pop up, it, it's it doesn't look like it's going to look like it looked for the Browns, for the Ravens, for the Saints last night. It's they 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 weathered the worst of it. It could always something could always happen, but you 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 feel like they've gotten through the worst part. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. <laughs> 
let's briefly touch on playoffs. We touched on playoff scenarios and things like that yesterday. I just want to make sure we run them over as we, because, you know, it's it's the number one thing hanging over these last two weeks. The Bengals are far from in the barn, okay? Uh, they need one more. They need one more for the most part, okay? I mean, they're they're looking good. You know, if we go go back to what, what we used last week and has been kind of a pretty consistent model across the board, you're looking at 538 here, um, you know, 80% to get into the playoffs and you're up in a really good place to win the division. So, you know, the, these are the things that you're looking at right now, but it can change. So specifically 80%. Uh, to make the playoffs, 72% to win the division. So you're close, but the, the, the scenario is win one more and it's over. Um, also, I want to bring this up, Jay, because I, I like the idea of this. And I think this is a scenario that they will be because they're going to talk through all contingencies of, of situational football. Let's talk about the tie, okay? Because you now – this. What a tie means is different today than it was five weeks ago. If you end up in an overtime, okay, you know, do you run clock? Guess what? A tie is very good for you yeah. right now. A tie should count pretty close to a win. A tie eliminates Cleveland. Cleveland is the only scenario you're really scared about right now. And a tie eliminates Cleveland, okay? And so to me... Then that's division win. That's what this is all about. Because the the only thing you are concerned about with the Bengals right now is this nine and eight cluster, where you have to go to Cleveland in a winner take all. Because if the Browns beat the Steelers on Monday Night Football, and you lose to the Chiefs, both of which are Vegas favorites to happen, you are in a winner take all game that will most likely be played on Sunday night against the Browns. A Browns team getting guys back off COVID that has renewed hope that all you only need to win one game despite everything that went wrong for them. A Browns team to beat you by a boatload uh, a, a while back. And if you're in a 9-8 situation, the Bengals are in a bad spot if the Chargers are involved. The Chargers are their killer across every tiebreaker. When you go through the playoff simulator of tiebreakers, anything that has the Chargers with them in it is basically... Null and void. There's there's almost no no combination of teams that can put them in. The Chargers kill them across the tiebreaker. Uh, according to the playoff predictor and the, the machine uh, that ESPN has out there, no, no matter what combination of nine and eights you put out there, if the Chargers are one of them, it's problems for the Bengals. Yeah, because what, what I don't think a lot of people realize is if you do have this massive – group of teams at five and eight, the first thing they do is they treat all those teams like they're playing for a division title instead of a wild card. And you just, you just pick out which team wins their division. And then you're left with only two left or three left. And then, then you start over at head to head and the chargers with that head to head against the Bengals knocks them out. Now that if it is a multiple team, you get down to three say, and they go to head to head, you, someone will have have to have swept all the other teams in the tiebreaker 
And if that's not the case, then you go to conference record. And then that's when you feel a little bit better about the Bengals. But still, if they're nine and eight, they're going to be sitting there with a seven and five conference record. And that's not going to be a, a great tiebreaker tool either. So, and you've always got that possibility of it ending of it being a down to two teams. And if it's the Chargers, then that that's not good. They, they head to head. There's no other tiebreaker that matters. That's the one right off the top that would knock the Bengals out. Yeah, and and you know the Chargers are eight and seven. They need one win to get to nine, mm-hmm. and and basically almost put you out. Okay, now they have to play Denver and the Raiders, who are also kind of still in the mix with a lot to play for and with decent teams. But you know the chances that the Chargers aren't going to win one of their next two games. They're going to end up losing four in a row to close the season. Who knows after they lose to the Texans? Like any result is possible. But let's keep in mind how unlikely. Hey, we've been saying this for a while. This needs to go through the north. The Bengals are not in the barn. No one should be pretending that they are. They got to find a way to win one of the next two games or they put themselves in a real precarious situation. There's a number of ways that they could still win the division. Mm -hmm. They could still win the division with nine, and a lot of that will come down to what happens between Cleveland and Pittsburgh on Monday night. But if, if, if they don't finish it on their terms, if they don't, complete the circle so to speak here down the stretch whether that be in cleveland or against kansas city um you can be thinking about that nightmare scenario very realistically that they end up on the outside looking in at nine and eight and extremely disappointed despite what felt like a breakthrough season and that that would be i mean that would be disappointment you know it's hard to believe if you went back to the beginning of the year and you said i'll give you nine and eight and you were right there at the end you you probably would have said i take it but we re- we have to reset this a couple of times. You just don't know how many opportunities you're going to have the team that's healthy, that's playing well, that has the chemistry, that has all these things going for them. And you're right there in the mix. And you've got something special that's new and exciting and everybody's on board. And you're not totally figured out yet by the league. You only have so many situations that set up for you like that year to year. It's easy to say, oh, they'll... This team will be here year the next three years, right? How many times have we said that about other teams that played in the Super Bowl? Hmm. The 49ers in the Super Bowl. Oh, they'll be here every year. No, they won't. They won't. I mean, there, there are no guarantees of anything. You think only they said that in 2005? Oh, the Bengals will be here every year, hmm. right? Carson, Chad, and TJ, and Odell Thurman, and what could go wrong, right? And they never made it. Back to the playoffs in you know 2009. The next time. So, I mean, you're never think that, oh, this is the opening of a window. Yes, it is the opening of a window. Yes, they are young. Yes, they're, they're going to be a potentially a power to look at before the season next year. That means jack squat. You only have so many times you are sitting in this position with two weeks to go in a season where you've got your stars, you've got your horses, everybody's playing well, you've got your confidence. Other teams don't have those things, and you've got a division at your fingertips. You've got to take advantage of those spots. You can't, you know, it's nice to think about the future, but you need to be thinking about the now. And I know this is a tough thing for Bengals fans to do who've only been able to digest the future for six years, but it's about now. You, The future is now. This is the time you have to take advantage of these situations when you have them. Yeah, and if, if they lose to the Chiefs on Sunday, everybody needs to be big Pittsburgh Steelers fans on Monday night 
Maybe go to Martino's on Vine, the, one of the biggest Steeler bars in Cincinnati, and and <laughs> have a kumbaya, kumbaya moment with all the Steeler fans and let them know you're friends with them now and, oh, and wave yeah. the towels. And because if you you mentioned it on the live room, if 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 Cleveland loses, they're done. They're not. They they cannot win the division. And if they or make if, the playoffs or make the playoffs, and if the Browns go into Week 17 with no hope, they're they're shutting down. They're is is appealing as the the spoiler role might be with with the the situation with Baker's banged up, and it's just you could see that being a total laydown game, um, like we've seen other teams. The Bengals do. do. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I don't know. The Bengals when they're out of it, they they have that whole send them home happy thing with the home finale uh, mm-hmm. where they. But that that did not work last year, obviously, because thirty eight to three Ravens. But it, it is if if you you don't want Cleveland to have anything on the line and the Bengals needing to win that game in Week eighteen. You don't. Um, so. We'll talk more about that on the live room next week, depending on where they're at. I mean, imagine the other side of this is, Jay, and we'll talk about this on Thursday. And um, <laughs> Imagine if they win. Yeah. I mean, then, then you're talking one seed. Look, the Chiefs are an incredible team. They, they are, they've won eight in a row, and they have been impressive doing it. I mean, their defense is great. Patrick Mahomes is now on fire again. He's playing like Patrick Mahomes. They, they look everything – you know, they you you can play a almost perfect game and still lose to the Chiefs easily um, on Sunday if you're the Bengals. But what a measuring stick! What a measuring stick this sets up to be. I I go back to and and there's a there's a couple of different outcomes. And again, we'll talk. About, I don't want to dive too much into the Chiefs. We'll talk about it on Thursday, but I, I I hearken back to undefeated Patriots, 2007 trying to play for the perfect season, play the New York Giants at the end of that season. And it takes everything the Patriots have to beat them. A deep ball to Randy Moss at the end of the game to put away the Giants at 38-35. Giants don't win. But, boy, did they sneak into the playoffs and still gain confidence from it. Mm -hmm. And then the Super Bowl had that and saw the Patriots again and beat them to kill the undefeated season. This is not me saying that the Bengals are going to be, you know, win the Super Bowl. This is saying that playing the Chiefs close, even if they were to lose, you know, if it looked like the Niners game, right, where you felt like you had it, or you know, or even the Chargers game where you were right there despite some bad stuff happening, you know, you just don't kill yourself, you're fine. I think you would go into a potential playoff game against the Chiefs in round to a champion, who knows, with a lot of confidence that maybe you could pull it off. And that could go a long way. And it could show you just how close you are. Or we'll learn just how far away they are. That, look, they haven't beaten a lot of teams with winning records. Throw the North out of it. Throw the Ravens out of it, right? You're one and three. Um, You haven't been good enough against the really good. And maybe we learn how far. Maybe their, you know, their offensive line and the inability to really protect is super exposed as their fatal flaw, which it probably will be. And, and maybe we learn that. And you learn, you pinpoint the areas where the next step has to happen this off season. But maybe we don't. That's the fun of fun of this game for me. Yeah, I mean that that this is this will tell us whether they are still on the come or whether they have arrived, and. 
doesn't necessarily mean a win or a loss decides that. You're right. If they play this game really close and it's not about the moral victory, but it is, it's letting you know that you can go toe to toe with the best in the league. And that will, it will, it will serve them well. And whoever they play in the first round, it'll especially serve them if, if they happen to advance and and see the chiefs again. And if they do beat the chiefs, it's, they've still got a lot of work to do to get a one seed, but it's it's in the conversation. All if you of a beat sudden, the Chiefs, if you beat the Chiefs, Jay, what are we talking about? Why wouldn't you believe the Bengals are amongst the favorites in the AFC? Right. If you beat the Chiefs at this point, where both teams have it all on the line, and the Chiefs have won eight in a row, why wouldn't you think of the Bengals that way? Then the Bengals would have won three in a row. Joe Burrow would be on fire. He just threw for five hundred twenty-five yards. If you actually did that. Why wouldn't why wouldn't you view the Bengals as right next to the Chiefs as a real contender to win the AFC? Who else in the division? No one scares you. The Chiefs are the only team that scares anybody, rightfully so, because they are a clear cut above. It's a that's what I mean. Game. Yeah, that's what I mean by still on the come or you have arrived. Yep. If you if you beat the Chiefs, then you announce to everybody, not just your fan base, not just the people in the locker room. You you announce to the entire league that this young team has arrived. Yeah, early. Um, and sometimes it goes that way. Sometimes it is early. And, and maybe it hasn't, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. Jay, you've got – I do want get, to get into some Jay's Got Stats here because you've got a bunch of them. Um, there's there's a bunch, so I'll just set you up with that. Jay's Got Stats time. We're going to start ticking through. Let's start with the team. you got some team history stuff to start with. I do. They, you know, Burrow had that huge game, the 525, and – it just we were so focused on the individual accomplishments that happened in in that game against the Ravens um the 575 total yards the Bengals had on Sunday most by anybody in the league this year fifth most in Bengals history and the most since 1990 and maybe more importantly most ever allowed by a Ravens defense and the previous high that the Ravens allowed was 548 in their very first season in 1996 against a Broncos team that went 13 and 3. You just you don't see that 575 number very often. Everybody was focused on the 525 that Burrow did, but they and they had more passing yards, but then they lost them on the sacks. But the 575 total yards was really kind of a staggering number that that somehow got overlooked with by Burroughs 525. Yeah, I mean, just a huge, just a huge game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to throw it to the side, but uh, because of who, who was out there defensively, but th- there's a lot of bad defenses and bad, you know, depleted teams that have taken the field over the course of the last three decades <laughs> or the whole history of the NFL. And nobody's necessarily done what the Bengals just did. And you get you get to that kind of yardage by scoring all the time, and that, that that was another number. I've got this in final thoughts. The first of all, the Bengals scored on their first seven possessions. The last time they had done that was two thousand nine, and I think everybody remembers that game. That was the game Cedric Benson went nuts against the Bears yep. um, in October of that year. They won forty five to ten. Um, 
On Sunday against the Ravens, the Bengals averaged 4.56 points per drive, which is just insane. It was tied for the fifth most in the league this year, and it was their highest since doing 5.0 in that Bears game. You just, it's, if you're in the, what, the two, two and a half range, you're moving the ball and scoring pretty well. Get to get up in the 4.56 is, is just, incredible and again it is against a depleted defense but that was a another number that that really stood out from the game and a, a if we're going to talk numbers that stand out there's a there's a small number a zero they didn't have any turnovers so that's two games in a row without a turnover so I'll I'll, I'll do this stat as a trivia question for you when or how many times in Bengals franchise history have they gone three games in a row without a turnover? In their entire franchise history? Yep. I feel like it would probably happen maybe once every once every five years, maybe. Maybe, maybe less than that. So how about how about ten times? It's only happened three times in really? Bengals history. And two of them were pretty recent. They did three in a row in 2017. They did three in a row in 2016, and they did four in a row, the best ever, in 1998, which wasn't a great year, but they didn't turn the ball over. Uh, the NFL record's seven. That's that's fairly low. That was the 2010 Patriots. Even to, if they could – and now they're only at two. Make that clear. They haven't done three yet, but if, if they can if they can avoid the turnover against the Chiefs and get to three, they, they put themselves in rare company. How about that? I didn't. I, I would not have thought that it would be that rare. I didn't either. There was the Patriots with seven, and there's only two teams that had six, and then there's kind of a log jam with fives and fours. But you know, I guess that's just the kind of the nature of football. The the odd shaped ball that it can get punched out at any time. A tip pass can turn into an interception. A punt returner can fail to catch it. There's just so many things that can go wrong where you might have a turnover at any point in a game, and to, to string multiple games together without having one is pretty rare. Anything else in the Jays got stats bucket you want to empty on me? Uh, I got one last one here. Uh, we we talked about how you know Tyler Boyd almost if he had caught that thirty two yard touchdown he would have gone over a hundred and it would have been only the second time in Bengals history they had three hundred yard receivers. Um, so I went back and I looked at because Chase had one twenty five and and Higgins had one ninety four. So it was, when was the last time they had two receivers? with at least 125 yards, making that the, the cutoff instead of 100. Um, and that's only happened three times in history. And uh, probably not surprising that two of them were Chad and TJ. Uh, TJ had 141 and Chad had 138 in 2007 against the Seahawks. Um, and then there's the Ravens again showing up. Uh, TJ 171, Chad 161 in 2004 against the Ravens. And then before that, you got to go all the way back to 1990. That was the Boomer Siasen 490 game, the record that Joe Burrow beat this week. Um, this one might surprise the two names on this list from 1990: Rodney Holman 161 and Tim McGee 142. How about that? I always like a Rodney Holman reference. You know, one of the more underrated Bengals in history. I feel. I would agree. He, I would agree with you. People don't understand how how critical he was for Boomer and those teams back in the day. Um, I want to. You mentioned the receivers. I, I just want to touch on something. I'm writing more about this uh, right now, uh, so you, you'll be able to read more. But I, I don't know that people 
really have the perspective of how good T. Higgins has been <laughs> over the last half of the half of the season, the last eight games. You can he's one of the been one of the top three receivers in, in the league by by in almost any way you look at it. Um, you know, yards, efficiency, big plays, things like that. Here's the one that sticks out to me. You talk about how he just seems to be catching everything, right? Over the last eight weeks, Jay, T. Higgins has caught 74.2% of targets, 46 of 62, 773 yards. Okay. Now, 74% is, is not like some totally crazy number, but it is for people that you throw the ball down the field to. You, know, you, see, you see these numbers with slot receivers, you know, running backs will be up in the 80s and 90s even, things like that, easy, easy receptions. Not for people that you throw the ball down the field to. Of the top 20, we'll just go on 23 here, 10 and a half. If you go to 10 and a half air yards per target. So you're averaging 10 and a half yards on a throw down the field. So these are the guys, 23 guys that get the ball thrown to them down the field the most. The highest catch percentage out of anyone other than T. Higgins is 66, and most of them are down in the 50s. Hmm. That's Tyler Lockett, who is like the best in the business at it. That's remarkable. He's at 74%. He is catching absolutely everything, and most of these are contested. He was four for four on contested catches uh, against the Ravens, including the double moss. You know, and overall, his numbers have been just as good as anybody over eight weeks. Yards per reception, he's fourth. Yards per route run, he's fifth. He's in the top six over the last two years combined in yards per route run, which is mm-hmm. like the ultimate sign of elite wide receiver play. He's grading eight out of 107 receivers by PFF. He's tied for third with Defonte Adams for first down receptions. Jamar Chase is in the Pro Bowl. I don't know that he should be. Now, he has, they've sort of switched. They tag teamed in. We talked about that. Because you know Higgins had the early part of the year. The thing was, and I, an interesting thing that went under the rug a little bit about T from after the game was he talked about how, for the first time I really heard him specifically say it this way, when he had his labrum injury early in the season, even when he came back, he felt like he was playing worried about it. He was playing feeling it. And when you're a high point guy, like T is, and you're worried about your labrum and your shoulder being able to not hurt it, and that it does hurt sometimes when you're playing nervously. Said so he was playing nervously, thinking about it. It changes the whole dynamic of how you play. So when you see, you know, games where we were saying, "What's wrong with T Higgins? Fifteen targets. He only caught seven balls or whatever." It's be- that was a part of it. But since he got over that. He's looked every bit the guy we thought he would be before the season started. The, the year two jump guy. The guy who had the incredible offseason. The guy who looked primed to be the breakout player on this mm-hmm. offense. He's been that and more. He's been the top five receiver that you thought he could be. 
And now you have two of them and arguably the best slot receiver in football. And that's why we say, you you know, when you got these opportunities and you got the thing humming like that, you got to take advantage. I don't, I don't, just don't think people realize exactly how good T has been. Yeah, I thought Brian Callahan brought up an interesting point because I'd almost forgotten this. You know, last year the whole thing was they can't, they can't hit the deep ball. They got to go find someone to take the top off the defense, and they they took deep shots to T Higgins, and he wasn't catching those contested balls. There were so many times last year where he was getting out fought for those balls, and you, I, I think. Zach mentioned it late in the year, or it might have been Brian, that you look at how many yards he left on the table by not winning those those contested catches, and and he he has just totally flipped that script. Anything that goes up that is in his vicinity, he's coming down with. He's got these strong hands. He's got that just the, the ball tracking ability. He's got the size to go up and get it. And that's a great point about the labrum too, because it's not just it's not just the reach. Where you're you're worrying about the comfort of the shoulder and going up and getting the ball, but if if you're high pointing a ball, you're leaving your feet and the catches T makes are contested, so you're probably going to the ground after you catch the ball. And yes, there's there's gonna be concern there that you land on that shoulder the wrong way and it's you're gonna re-injure yourself. It's it, it's it's been amazing to watch him, and so much of it is. The, the attention was, oh, it's just because they're throwing the, the all the focus on Jamar now, and that's leaving T wide open. And it that's not – that is part of it, but it's not the whole part of it. It's it's him feeling better about the shoulder, him just growing, like you said, that year two bump. And I, I, I can't remember – there was one in the Tennessee game last year where – where he he had one that would have been a touchdown he didn't come with and there was there was probably four or five other ones that that he didn't come down with last year that that he absolutely probably comes down with this year it's just it's it's for a guy like Joe Burrow that that has that confidence to to take some shots and take some chances to have a guy like T Higgins that doesn't necessarily have to be open you can just trust that he's going to go up, and if he doesn't catch it, he's going to fight for it enough where it's going to be incomplete. He's not going to get out-battled and it be an interception. It's just a huge weapon to have. He is. I mean, you know, the really this that that last portion, the second half, really mostly catching balls from Brandon Allen, mm. um, he really was coming down. I mean, the, the catch in Houston, the touchdown in Houston comes to mind, a number of other plays where he really did start kind of just catching everything. Um, and that's why you, I think you felt like you had that to build on. And then it didn't happen as much this year because, and, and I think a lot of it did have to do with the injury and, and, and the attention with Chase. And now, now here you are. You, you've really got him cooking and it's been special to watch. All right, let's just take a quick break. Let's let's go to uh, Mo time. It's it's time to talk about tweets. So uh, let's uh, bring in our conversation with our good friend Mo here. Mo, how are we doing? Wonderful guys, what's up? Big week uh, in the Cincinnati sports scene. Just a just a touch. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. So if you're a Cincinnati sports fan, this is this is awesome. Well, it's funny. I think I I it was probably in this segment months ago. Jay, you might have mentioned like, wow, could you imagine UC playing on Friday in the college football <laughs> playoff and then the Bengals having a ton on the line against the Chiefs? And I think the response was not really like that's just still at that point seemed 
asinine even when two teams track towards that. Yet here we are, uh, where Cincinnati is the pinnacle of uh, you know the centerpiece of the footballing world. It means one thing: the meteor is about to hit. that's not good (laughs) to the bunkers everyone to the bunkers uh jay do you have stats on most Uh, i do uh mo bounced back this week he was he had a career career low last week but he came in with 70 this week so he's he's on the rise and that includes like taking christmas off i didn't tweet on christmas nobody want no nobody should be tweeting on christmas no no uh there was Bengals news on christmas which was really unnecessary uh, but either way, it's good for you for, for holding off. I hope Christmas was fun uh, around your household. And the next day certainly uh, was fun. The Bengals with their win against the Ravens and Joe Burrow throwing on Wink Martindale for 525 yards and bragging about <laughs> it after the game with a Santa hat on and a Krusty Krab to sweatshirt. Uh, I My – I will preface this of what I picked for the tweet to talk about here by saying this is what columnists do, okay? (laughs) (laughs) This is what columnists are supposed to do, are to have their opinion, their thought, offer it as a way to create conversation, to be who they are. When you've been around here for a long time and you are as well accomplished and respected as Paul Doherty is, you can write your opinion and no matter what it is. And it should often elicit response or else you wouldn't be around the same market for three decades. That said, uh, the tweet to Doc's column about essentially the point being, and there were a lot of good points in it about how you know, the, the Bengals need to watch what they're doing and the way that they're basically trying to disrespect the opponents and, you know, all this stuff about killer instinct is ridiculous. And how about having a little more class and listen to the words of Paul Brown? Uh, you subtweeted that with counterpoint. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what I enjoyed, Mo, is it, which that, that did make me laugh. Uh, you then subtweeted that with a screenshot to the Webster Dictionary uh, definition of killjoy, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was a nice mm-hmm. quote of a second one off the rope. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what what was it? That's what is that uh, that sort of rubbed you the wrong? It was a wet blanket. Look, first of all, what I don't like about doing things like this is it turns into a referendum on Doc, who is a no. Somebody no. who I like immensely, somebody who I respect immensely. I mean, in, you know, he, he has a job. His job is to provoke. Look, I've gotten hours and hours and hours and hours of talk radio shows based on Doc's columns. Um, and so it's it's no referendum on on Doc at all. I, I, I love Doc and, and I enjoy his work uh, immensely. Um, and so what I don't like is how people then pile on him personally. That's not the point here. The, the point for me is that is a, a perspective that I just as a fan and, and Doc's not a fan and he'll go out of his way to, 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 to mention that. But as a fan, the last thing I felt like hearing was this team needs to tone it down. I do think it is fair to say, look, as a practical matter, maybe it doesn't make sense for Joe Burrow to be taking unnecessary hits. Had, and frankly, had that been the main point of the column, I don't know that I would have disagreed with that. I'm not even sure I would have made mention of it, but Look, man, if you're a Bengals fan, this team has been a punching bag for most of your life. 
And so for the punching bag to now be punching back is immensely fun. And that's my perspective. That's my perspective as a fan. And so a, a fun part of sports is rubbing the other team's nose in it. I have no issue doing that. And, and we, look, we all understand that that was a shell of a football team that the Ravens fielded on Sunday. You know what? So what? Big deal. I don't recall anybody playing a violin for the Bengals when they lost to the Bears 36 to seven a couple of years ago after a week in which they didn't have enough players to practice. I don't recall that. I said on my radio show yesterday, I'm a UC basketball fan. UC took the floor against Xavier and it had no chance this year. None, none whatsoever. And the Musketeers did exactly what they are supposed to do against the Bearcats. And as a UC fan, you understand, you know what? They don't have the horses this year. You sit there and you take it and you hope you, you get your day uh, at some point in the not so distant future. And I would feel the same way if I was the Baltimore Ravens. This is a franchise that has maybe not to the same degree the Steelers have because the Bengals have actually had a pretty fair amount of success against Baltimore this year. But when they were struggling to tackle Lamar Jackson with dudes in the secondary who were not NFL caliber players, I don't recall anybody feeling bad. I don't recall John Harbaugh feeling bad for the Miami Dolphins when he ran a fake punt up 35 nothing against him in year one of their rebuild. I don't recall him apologizing for running the football unnecessarily against the Denver Broncos to extend that franchise's record of uh, consecutive 100-yard rushing games. And so this is a part of sports. The, the opponent is weak, and you pounce on them, and you rub their face in it a little bit. And if they get their comeuppance one day, they get their comeuppance. This is not so much about them. It's about us. If you're a Bengals fan, to be able to enjoy the punching bag, punching back, and doing it with some personality and doing it with some taunting, screw that. That is an immense amount of fun. And as a fan, I think the last thing you feel like hearing in that moment Hours after the game is, oh, you know, maybe they're having a little bit too much fun. Oh, you know, that Ravens team, uh, poor Josh Johnson's out there. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe dial back the fun just a little bit. Man, screw that. Screw that. That was an immense amount of fun on Sunday. After they threw the pass to Joe Mixon, I wanted them to score and then go for two. I love rubbing my, I love running up the score because you know what? It's happened to the Bengals. And when it happens to you, you sit there and take it. So, you know what? This was Baltimore's chance to sit there and take it. And if you're a fan, I think the last thing you felt like hearing in that moment was, well, you know, Paul Brown used to say, act like it. we haven't been here before. Okay. We haven't been here before. And so, you know what? I want to spin the ball in the face of the opposing head coach like Jamar Chase did. I want to throw unnecessary deep balls. I want to score pylon touchdowns. I want to go for two. I want onside kicks. I want all that stuff because that stuff is fun. And for the first time in forever, we have a team and we have a season that are fun. And what I read was the exact opposite of that. The thing is, and I made this point on the walkout, the Ravens aren't dead. W would you re would you regret that fun if weeks the the wild card playoff round, it's Ravens at Bengals? Because you saw what the the bulletin board material, the Wink Martin comments did to fire up Joe Burrow. Do you want this Ravens team coming back to Cincinnati? with the fresh memory uh, of this, this running it up in their minds. Um, I would be more concerned if I was a Baltimore fan with the fresh memory of the Bengals hanging 82 on them this year. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. Give me after what I've seen. And, and I, again, I, I know what the Ravens fielded on Sunday was, was a shell of what that team should be. I, I, I certainly understand that, but, yeah, give me another game against the Baltimore Ravens. The Bengals have scored 82 points on that team this year. When they haven't turned it over, they've scored almost at will. Uh, we talked about this last week. Historically, they've done okay against Lamar Jackson. I would assume Lamar would be playing in that game. And if they meet in the playoffs and the, the Baltimore Ravens, with a coach who's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, I think, uh, needs motivation provided by the Bengals 
uh, to me, that speaks volumes about them. So, no, look, let's. I would love to play the Baltimore Ravens. I'd rather play Baltimore right now than some of the other teams they could play in the AFC that I think can attack the Bengals from different standpoints. I've seen the Bengals roll the Ravens when they were healthier in Baltimore this year. And then I watched what I watched on Sunday. And look, Josh Johnson was competent, and that game was in pseudo doubt into the fourth quarter. That would be a tough game regardless. But yeah, let's let's do it. Let's and and if the Ravens were to come back and beat them, then the Ravens come back and beat them. Um, I don't know that it's going to be due to anything that Joe Burrow said or did, or that Zach Taylor said or did. I don't think the Baltimore Ravens worry about. Look, had they won that game on on Sunday? We we don't think there would be chirping from that team. There there would be, and there should be. And would they be going in Baltimore? Oh, well, what if the Bengals were well, bulletin board material? I, I, just go out there and win and win how you have to win and celebrate it and rub it in the other team's face. And if they get you on the other end of it, then they get you on the other end of it. But yes, I would love to play the Baltimore Ravens to see if the Bengals could score 42 against them or score 41 in three consecutive games. That would be a blast. The uh, you know, there's a lot of reverence around here for Sam Weish and the teams of the 80s. And and how game changing they were for this franchise. Do people forget Jerry Glanville and Sam Weish? Do people forget sixty one to seven? Do people forget that the the Oilers did give it back to them at at one point, and that was part of the the fun of that era was that you could do it, and maybe they will come back on you. And I just think that's. You know, that's a sign of a great team when you can do that and you can have rivals like that. And let's not pretend that this wasn't personal, okay? That this wasn't about a little bit of the fact that when it was 27 to nothing in Joe Burrow's first season, that Wink Martindale zero blitzed them eight times when the Bengals were trying to go down the field with almost no time left. And then they kicked a field goal so they wouldn't have to get zero blitzed a ninth time to take another hit on Burrow. And then the dude who was doing it ripped them for kicking the field goal. You don't think that was part of it. You don't think the fact that he then took a little bit of a shot at your franchise quarterback who will absolutely take that personal to every ounce of his body because he does that about everything in his life. Didn't want to go out there and stick it to this team. When people take shots at you, you feel like they take shots at you and you get a chance to shove them back to the ground. You do it. And that's sports. Okay. Like that's sports. What goes around comes around and guess what? It will come back around again and that'll be fun because then you wait for your next time. And that's the enjoyment of going to the games. 61 to seven included Jim breach, kicking a field goal in the game's final two minutes. Exactly. Uh, it, the, <laughs> the ultimate middle finger to Jerry Glanville and, and, those of us who remember that era, we always talk fondly about how fun it was. And it was defined by personality and rivalries and things like that. Things that have been sort of sanitized from the NFL, things that it feels like the NFL is trying to sanitize from itself. So I got a little version of that on Sunday. Great. By the way, the, the next Bengals Ravens game, whenever that is, I now look forward to it even more. There's an added element here. There's an added dimension. It's like when the, the Bengals Steelers a playoff game in 2015 and everybody was, was clutching their pearl. Oh, how bad is this for the NFL? And then, well, that game was on Monday night football the following year. Like dude, whatever I, I'm, I'm here for rivalry. I'm here for legitimate distaste for one another. I'm here for uh, the more human aspects of this. And 
fans love to taunt and rub the other team's noses in it and to watch players and coaches do that to a degree and then see John Harbaugh lecturing Zach Taylor, I guess is what he was doing on the field after the game and the postgame handshake. Like, sign me up for all that stuff. That makes sports fun. That makes sports entertaining. And I'm sorry. I just I find it hard to believe that if the Ravens play the Bengals in the postseason, that with a chance to advance in the playoffs, the Ravens are maybe they would relish rubbing the Bengals noses in it, which, okay, fine. Then don't lose the game if you're Cincinnati. But in the moment, dude, I'm 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 here for all of that. And and again, I I I want to be abundantly clear here. This this is not about like I think Doc's a terrible columnist or anything like that. We've had some fun with him. We've had fun with the point of view. I get where he's coming from. I, I really genuinely do from his vantage point. If I'm looking at that um from from 30,000 feet and I'm I'm sort of uh, th- there's no emotion involved. Yeah, I, I could see why you would look at that and go, "Boy, that's going to be a cash that the a check that the Bengals might have to cash one day." But as a fan, screw that. As a fan, <laughs> run it up, pile it up and punch back. This franchise has been just a laughing stock, has just been one of the biggest punchlines in sports for so long for this team to give fans to enjoy a comeuppance of sorts. I I think Bengals fans are relishing in that. I'm relishing it. And the last thing you want to hear in that moment is that, well, they're maybe doing it wrong and they should adhere to the uh, teachings of Paul Brown, who's been dead for three decades. And again, I do want to go back to the point that you started with. This is not about Doc. This is just about no. he's certainly not the only one with this point of view. And we have this is about tons of respect for for Doc. This is about a conversation that a lot of people are having right now about should the Bengals be doing this? He he created a conversation. He Absolutely. did his job. Look, he's an opinion guy. I'm an opinion guy. I do it from a certainly a different perspective. But yes, he, he provoked conversation. And the thing that I love about Doc is about 30 percent of the time I disagree with him. I don't mm-hmm. want to read somebody, whether it's you guys, whoever it is. I don't want to listen to somebody where I know what the angle is going to be and where I'm just going to nod along and agree. I I appreciated the fact that he was willing to step out and have this sort of asinine take that uh, it did create conversation. And so that that's that's his job. He's really, really good at that. But, you know, occasionally and again, my perspective is different than his. Occasionally, he will write something that I go, man, to hell with that. That's triggered me. That's his job. I'd like to think that on our goofy little radio show, occasionally we do that, Uh, not nearly to the extent that he does or with the cachet that he does, but this is not about going after the person at at all. We can have fun with it. And and God knows we've had a lot of fun with it, but um, he did his job. I just, I, in the moment, the, that perspective is, like the last thing that I, I I wanted to hear, right? Like that is the the very last thing that I I wanted to, you know, I was I was I was gonna like rewrite Doc's column, but I was gonna make it about how, hey, I know you enjoyed your Christmas presents, but uh, y- you know you shouldn't don't have so much fun with them, and then I I didn't because I felt like that might have been piling on, but it's just in the moment it's not what most of us wanted to hear, and so there was some pushback, but columns like that invite pushback. He did his job. Yep. Uh, I, I'm going to open a small can of worms here. Um, so I'll just say this Friday night, Friday afternoon, three 30, um, UC Alabama. Where, 
where are you at with this right now? I mean, just we're getting closer. We can now talk game, right? We've talked the ridiculousness of that, the fact that we're talking about this for long enough, right? Like that, that the fact that this has happened, this is icing on the cake a little bit. You don't want to go and get embarrassed, obviously, but the fact that they're here is so much the accomplishment. But here it is now. You've got a good team. You've got a chance to prove yourself. You've got Al freaking Bama in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, where are you at with ge- the game aspect of this? Are you still giving the Bearcats a real chance here? Get me through the first four possessions of the game. B- because I think the fear for me is, you know, in whatever sequence they come, both teams have possessed the ball twice. It's 14 nothing, and it feels like the snowball is going downhill. Uh, Cincinnati really only had to play from behind once this year, and it was against a a bad Indiana team. And you never really felt like they were out of it. So that that's the part that you just you wonder, how are they going to respond if Alabama delivers a couple of haymakers early? And we're 10 minutes into this thing and it's 14 zip and the Bearcats haven't moved the ball and Alabama has scored at will. Oh, boy. Then what are we talking about? I think if they can get past that, then then we have a football game and we have a game that I think can be competitive into the fourth quarter. I'm not delusional. Look, Alabama has uh, maybe the best defensive player in the country in Will Anderson. They've got one of the best deep threats in college football and, and uh, Jamison Williams. They've, they've got a, uh, a left tackle who, if the Bengals were drafting early this year, we would be talking about, you know, why they should take him and move him to the right side or move Jonah Williams or, you know, bookend with two Alabama uh, tackles. I mean, he's that good. Uh, they have Nick Saban. They've had weeks to prepare, I don't want to minimize the challenge that the Bearcats have, or, you know, a lot of fans have just said, well, I think they've got a chance. If they have a chance, they have to figure out a way to overcome some dudes that are consensus, all American first round draft picks, the best in the sport at their respective positions. But the Cincinnati team that I've watched all season long has guys that can stand toe to toe with Alabama. Um, I, I, you know, this is not, and I think I've said this to you, this is not a team that came from nowhere and, you know, was outside the top 25 and slowly worked their way up. They were ranked in the top 10, uh, of both major polls before the season. That is reflective. The people included Cincinnati in the conversation before the season started from a talent perspective with, um, absolute powerhouses in college football. They did nothing during the season to dissuade anybody who thought this team had a chance to be in the conversation before the season. They've done nothing to, to, to make people feel otherwise in the subsequent 13 games that they've played. Um, but I'm, I'm not naive to the fact that this is an insane challenge for UC and that if they won, it would be one of the most monumental, monumental upsets in the history of college football. I just don't think this team is going to embarrass itself. I just don't think this team is going to just get annihilated. I just don't think that this is going to be a situation where you look back on it and go, boy, that was a waste of time because they lost by 50 points. I think this team is too good. I think this team is too good across the board with no real weakness anywhere except for the kicking game. Um, I just, I think too highly of this team to believe that it's going to be embarrassed, but I certainly understand that when you dive into the, the nuts and bolts of the game, you look at some of those players that Nick Saban has and you go, okay, this guy represents a problem and you're being fair. If you wonder how Cincinnati over the course of fourth quarters is going to solve those problems. Are you going to the game? Are you going to Dallas? Are you going to be in the booth? I'll be yeah. in the, I'll be in the booth. Yes. Pre-game at three Oh five. I just, 
I don't, I'm, I'm breaking a rule and, and going to a house party. It is New Year's Eve, and I just I hate watching big games like that with with so many so many people around. I hope you're right. I hope it's it's a really close game and an interesting game. I I I I wouldn't bet on it just based on history. Not so much what I've seen this year, but I I mean I'm gonna kick myself if. If this is a really close game and everybody at the party is talking about everything but football, I just it's it happens that way. And I don't know. I might just have to go get in my car and drive around and listen to Dan if that's the case. Well, more than maybe more than anything, I want full party report uh, from from Jay uh, on Sunday on the walkout. We'll make sure we make sure we get to that. Well, well, I think from from my standpoint, what is what you do? You know, you you. um you, you let your mind wander and it's like, well, how, what would it be like if they did win the game? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you, you visualize just, holy crap, they did it. And then, you know, you, I was doing this yesterday, preparing for our show with Tony Pike. And I, cause I wanted to ask him about, you know, specifically how, how does Cincinnati handle, you know, Jamison Williams. And you, you just, you look at some of the matchups and you look at some of the, the players they have, and you look at the, the, the statistics that Bryce Young put up and it's, it's like, holy crap, this isn't SMU. <laughs> this isn't Tulsa. So uh, um, I do think they have a shot. I wouldn't bet on it, but I, I just, to me, the hurdle is where are we at the five minute mark of the first quarter? Both teams have possessed it twice is, you know, and, and to me, the peach bowl was kind of the same thing last year. Uh, early in the game, you had a sense. All right. These guys can, can play with Georgia. This is a, maybe a different animal. Um, I'm really worried about, because we've all seen college football games like that, where the 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 favorite just imposes itself early. The Peach Bowl wasn't that, dis- or the uh, Sugar Bowl in, in two thousand nine wasn't dissimilar. Where you know you look up and it's it's you know it's it's a two possession game already, and they've got the ball and they're driving, and holy crap, this could get out of hand early. I don't know if the Bearcats have the type of team that's going to be equipped to be able to overcome a, a two or three score deficit against a team like Alabama. No doubt. The thing, the thing that always comes back to me is, is there's just an adjustment period when you don't, you know, the, the one thing of being from the small school and not having the same level of competition is there's just an adjustment period of those defensive tackles, of that level of speed and power on the interior that just does not exist across the vast majority of college football, but does amongst those top powerhouses because there's just so few of those rare guys that are absolute game changers that go in the top 10 every single year in the NFL draft for a reason because they absolutely and there's just it takes time to figure out how to work around that and how to deal with that regularly and I think that's exactly what you're talking about that's those first couple of possessions of figuring out oh this is different we can't just create holes on these guys the same way that we could but either way let's, let's be honest if, if Cincinnati pulls off the upset Alabama is going going to be exceedingly complicit in their own demise. Bryce Young is going to have to make mistakes that he hasn't made all year long, and, and they're going to have to have things go poorly for them that typically don't go poorly for Alabama, certainly in games like this. Um, but this team they haven't been here. unbeatable, though. I mean, they've, they've been beat, and they have been down to the wire with teams that aren't great. And I think that sliver of hope there is is probably also what, what hangs out for you. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mo, you enjoy Dallas. Um, it should be a fun trip regardless of what happens and, and a cool atmosphere. And I, I know everyone will be locked to the TV and Jay will be uh, driving around uh, Hamilton uh, with the radio on. So. <laughs> if it's the fourth quarter, we'll give you a shout. 
<laughs> Give a shout out to Jay, yeah, yeah, who's too. just circling the block. <laughs> All right, Mo, have a good one. Enjoy Dallas. Okay, guys, thanks. All right, always great to catch up with Mo. And you know, I know this is the Bengals show and everything, but look, if you're, how can you not be interested in the Bearcats game against Alabama on Friday, which is going to be incredible theater. Looking forward to to that as well. And. And who knows, maybe we'll be watching uh, the biggest test for future Cincinnati Bengal Ahmad Gardner. Uh, yeah, I mean, how can you not be interested or even beyond interested, have a rooting interest? It's It feels like across the country, there might be more Bearcat fans in this college football playoff than any of the other three teams because people want to see the underdog. They want to see the the group of five team go in there and prove they belong because it opens it up for all those other schools that are, are hoping maybe one year it's them. And there's also a, a very large dislike of Alabama, just like there's a very large dislike of Ohio, Ohio State outside of those states. So yeah, there's, I, I think, there's maybe not in the stadium. It's going to be packed with Bama fans, but the the watching public on TV, there's going to be a lot of people rooting for UC. I mean, it's, it's March Madness. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, exactly. it's the absolute same reason that March Madness and the first two rounds of March Madness are amongst the most lucrative properties in all of sports. People love this. People love Cincinnati Bearcats versus the Alabama Crimson Tot, you know, on the same field, on the field, especially in a sport that has so tried to keep the little guy out, mm -hmm. the little guy's in now. And everybody wants to see, you know, the same reason they love watching George Mason or what was Butler or any of these teams that Wichita, you know, these teams that have made these runs in the NCAA tournament, you want to see them get their chance to take on the blue blood and, uh, and the little guy rise up. So for, I, I mean, I, how could you not be looking forward to it? It should be a, a great game. We've got a, so we got to recap the growler bet from this past weekend, Jay. Now our growler bet was, was multi-pronged had four prongs. We've we really, it's, it's gotten a little intricate. Maybe we need to simplify for this weekend. Uh, but we had the long run, long pass, long field goal, and the total of those as four possible numbers, and you had to get the total and another prong. So you had to get two out of four, essentially, um, to be right. The total was 123 after a long 19 run, a pass of 68, and a field goal of 36 yards. So those were the four numbers that were out there. Jay, you were you were feeling pretty good there about your pick. I was. Well, it, it you went with one twenty one, and that was the exact same number I had. Now we got there in in different ways in terms of what our long prongs were going to be, but you you gave me the choice, high or low, and I went high. I went one twenty two. So I missed it by one. It was 123. But my my pick for long run was 20, and it was 19. And I'm not sure they didn't cheat Joe Mixon out of a yard on that carry, but <laughs> a bad spot comes to doom you. That happens every game. It does. So the more interesting part of this, well, first of all, I I'm I think that's the closest I've come to one of these. Uh one away and then one on the other prong too. But after the Green Bay game, 
you had a four to one lead on me in growler bets. And uh, I, I'm now up seven to five. I've won six of the last seven. I'm melting down like the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, can't get wins. I also, I do want to uh, shout out uh, Jack Melberth had the 123 total on the nose and had 40-yard field goal instead of a 36-yard field goal, 55-yard mm. pass instead of the 68-yard pass, 28-yard run instead of the 19-yard run. That is so close, so close, but excellent effort. I all hit the big number in the vicinity of all the other ones, but not quite there. Um, all right, so that's our growler bet. Uh, what was our run passer boot from last week, Jay? Uh, yeah, we don't have to get to that. <laughs> Joe Joe Burrow embarrassed me the way he embarrassed Wink Martindale. I thought I'd come up with a pretty good run passer boot, and uh, not so. The, the run passer boot was what'll be highest. Joe Burrow's passer rating, Ravens rushing yards, or Bengals red zone percentage plus third down percentage. And uh, Burrow passer rating 143.2 obliterated Ravens rushing yards, which was 39, and even scorched the combined red zone and third down percentage, which was pretty good for the Bengals, but still only 107. So we, we both ran with Joe Burrow passer rating. We, we, we thought he might have a good game, and, and he went way beyond that. He, he, he made that look like a foolish question. You don't have to be embarrassed, though. We, we won. <laughs> At least we knew he was probably going to win. True. Unlike Wink. Unlike Wink. Um, all right. I want to wrap up today with a run passer boot from an emailer. Two-parter. Um, it's from Michael Creesip. And he sent me a run passer boot. Which opponent would you like to see? You think you guys, do you think the Bengals have the best chance of victory if they come to PBS for Burrow's first swing at a playoff victory? The Colts, the Patriots, or the Chargers? Now, this is kind of based on a lot of the current setups, possibilities of the wildcard teams. There's others, but we're going to focus on these three. Run, pass, or boot, which one you think they have the best chance of beating if they came to PBS? Colts, Patriots, chargers it's a great question because each one has an element where you're like yeah sign me up for that team the chargers rookie head coach patriots rookie quarterback and colts with a quarterback in carson wentz who who seems to like throwing it to the other team and and just i don't as great as jonathan taylor's been i don't have a lot of faith in in carson wentz i i'm gonna boot the patriots just because Bill Belichick, the, the idea of Zach Taylor versus Bill Belichick, you, you just can't like that matchup. Even with a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones, I'm booting that one. Um, I, I think I would run with the Colts, and we've seen this happen before. We've we've seen the Chargers game in 2013 where the, the Bengals defense just got run all over. But this is a different Bengals defense. This Bengals defense is number four against the run this year. I not saying they can totally shut down Jonathan Taylor, but I think they can do a decent enough job where the Colts would have to put that game on Carson Wentz's shoulders. And 
you, you would have to like your chances in that situation. I, I do kind of like the idea, even though they've lost to the Chargers, of of going against a rookie head coach, especially one that's kind of a, a, a riverboat Ron disciple and just going for it on fourth down every time. But that could blow up in your face. He, he could go for four first downs and get them all, talking about Brandon Staley here. So I'll, I'm going to run with the Colts. I'll pass on the Chargers and – I'll boot the Patriots to the moon. I, I don't think anybody wants to see the hoodie coming to Paul Brown Stadium. I mean, they've been a little bit exposed here of late. Um, they have. You know, so, I mean, they, they haven't – they've kind of taken their turn as the team that is crowned and then dismantled like everybody in the AFC seems to have until the Chiefs have now sort of made their run. I I will – I will – uh, you made some really good points. I just really like the Colts, but I, I, I agree with your point is at least your strength sets up against their strength. And we've just seen these teams that can throw it, give them so much trouble. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they've seen the chargers. And I think you look at that game and say, how the hell did we blow it by dropping, you know, the fumble and the interception and just the dumb stuff. That was not a game that was really a blowout. And I think you understand how it went wrong. I kind of like the idea of another shot at the Chargers, but I also do think the one thing you don't want to see is a team that can really throw it all over the lot against you because that has been the weakness of your defense. So I'm with, I think I changed my mind. I was thinking Chargers, but you made a very compelling argument, and I agree with you. So I'm going to go do the same as you. I'm going to, I would run with the Colts, who I think are really good. I think the Colts are really good. I do too. And I'm not as scared at, of the Patriots because I do still think you have a rookie quarterback in his first game, and I, there's mistakes to be made there, even with the hoodie on the other side. Um, and the Patriots are good, but. I'm still. I guess I'll. I guess I'll run with the Colts and I'll pass on the Chargers and boot the Patriots. But I think it does. I think it's close. I, th- I think it's close. Yeah, it I'm is. not. Again, I go back to the beginning point. I'm not scared of any of these teams. I, I think they all have weaknesses that you can see absolutely how the Bengals could win that game. Uh, all right, part two that we'll wrap up today on. I'm just going to read what I have here. Let's say the Bengals have done what was once seemed to be impossible. Not only have they vanquished their playoff win demons, but they have gone on a run to the Super Bowl. Being beat riders, you and Jay are going to the game. Upon arriving for your flight, you are informed that due to fires started by rabid Bengals fans celebrating, the flight has been canceled. You are forced to drive. In the rental lot, there are only three vehicles remaining. Which of these do you choose to get to L.A.? Jim's Yaris. I'll, now I get. I'm assuming we're getting these before they all died. Jay's miser <laughs> or Geo's minivan. The CD player is unable to be turned off due to malfunction, and the only track playing on repeat is Bootsy Collins' "Veer to Tiger," which is not ideal. Well, I mean, you could turn that off. We don't have to listen. It's to that unable the whole way. to be turned off. Oh. Due to malfunction. Well, I have noise canceling headphones, so I can put those on. And <laughs> I, I silence. I, I, <laughs> you're going to let me ride with you in silence from you, here you, to L.A. You have headphones too. We're Maybe both we can... going to sit in silence. <laughs> it's a long drive. 
Especially when now here's the thing: the Yaris is had a Viking funeral in Lake Michigan, right? The Miser's long gone. Geo's minivan is gone. So I get, are we getting them in prime condition? I so well, I wouldn't assume that we're getting them in the <clears throat> middle of their run. I'm not not fresh off the lot, middle of their of their their lives. What are you doing? I'm running with Geo's minivan because I currently drive a minivan. I want the thing to die so I can get a real car. My kids are grown. I don't need the minivan anymore, but it's paid off. It's nice not having a car payment. Um, and there, after that Hard Knocks uh, episode came out about the minivan, it was either Joe Daneman or Jeremy Rao. One of them took a picture of my minivan in the in the team parking lot and, and tweeted it out and said, I found the famous geo minivan. It's like, Nope, that one's mine. That's not geos. I, cause I have a gold, I have a gold Toyota Sienna 2011 and it is still going for some reason. And I, I like sitting a little bit higher. I, I, that's the big debate I'm having now. Do I go SUV? Do I go Camry? Um, I, I like there's elements of the minivan. I like maybe my most favorite element of a minivan is you can get away with speeding quite a bit in a minivan. I think that there's been times I would have got a ticket had I been in a regular car, but they kind of look the other way at the minivan. So I'm running with that. Um, uh, man, the Yaris is so small. We're both pretty tall guys. I, I don't know. And I had a lot of good memories in the, in the miser. So why not one more? I'll, I'll run with the miser and I'll, I'll boot the Yaris. Sorry, Jim, but I don't know how you did it all those years. I'm I'm con- I'm concerned. Here's here's my number one concern about this. Well, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot, but my number one concern about this is: Are we getting there? Okay, it's a long way to go. We're taking on some questionable automobiles. Here's what I do know: The Yaris in the middle of its run is getting there. That thing went over three hundred thousand miles. Okay, it may have one hubcap. It may be tiny. We may need to be pulled out of there with a shoehorn, but we're getting to L.A., and that's important. Is Geo's minivan definitely making it? Probably. Min- minivans are made for grocery getting, not for the long haul. Okay, I know you've done some long hauls. I, yeah. I just feel like I'm more concerned about the longevity of the vehicle making it across country in one shot. That's, that's all. So for that fact... I'm going to squeeze my big self into the Yaris. And then I'm going to pass on Geo's minivan. And I mean, I have no faith the Miser is getting us to LA. None. No. None. You know, I, I never changed the oil on that thing. So, yeah, you're right. I, I forgot about <laughs> Not that. Not once. Part. No. I, I got it with about 40,000, and I think it died around 90, and I never changed it. My, my friends always laughed. It's like, what do you mean you don't change? I was like, well. I wonder why it died at 90, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and there's another thing here that there was a fourth option that came to my mind just now that would be perfect for the athletic, and that's we call an Uber – and you and I tag team, tag team interview the Uber driver all the way to L.A. and write a story on that trip. Um, we'll have to work on getting that one through the expense reports, Jay. I mean, it can't be as, as expensive as two flights. I don't know. <laughs> Ubers all the way to, from Cincinnati to L.A.? Yeah, you, that is not – no. I, all right, if you're listening, <laughs> somebody somebody let us know what you estimate. 
if there's an estimation that can be done, maybe you are an Uber driver and you listen to this while you drive around, what would it cost to drive there and back via Uber from here to from here to LA? That that has to be insanely that an insane number, one that's not getting through the bean counters, and let, that story better be good. And it better be an Uber XL too, because we're fancy. <laughs> we so fancy. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back in full preview mode of Bengals Chiefs. Looking forward to that. We'll be hearing from the other side of the hottest team in football right now, eight straight wins and back-to-back conference championships and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones and all the dudes. So uh, it's going to be a very fun week here and a fun preview to do. Looking forward to uh, talking about what uh, what this matchup's going to be all about and with everything on the line here on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. Bearcats on Friday. Bengals on Sunday. Center of the football world. How about that? Hey, sir, listen, we'll talk to you next time we hear this podcast now.